Hello and welcome to the Coast Football Ramble podcast. This week, we talk to head coach Alan Stajic, discuss our exit in the FFA Cup, and look forward to the start of the season. I'm Jimmy, and I'm joined by Pete, Josh, and Morrow. How are you guys? Good evening, fellas. Well, thanks. Now, Morrow, you're only here for uh, another five minutes. Is there something you just want to blurt out quickly? Turn my mic off. And that's the end of Morrow's show. Thank you for joining us. <laughs> okay. That's the best input he's had to um, his entire podcast career. Anything ever. Right. He's got some potential. Fred's question. (laughs) (laughs) It was good to have football back at Central Coast Stadium. What are we most excited about for the upcoming season? Have we got some hope? Should I say the H word, hope? Yes, we have hope. I've turned your mic down. (laughs) It's off. (laughs) Aaron's trying to speak, but the mic's off. Cautious optimism from Mm. from myself, definitely. Um, The boys put in a good shift and the work rate was second to none um, on, on Wednesday night, so... Given me a little bit of, dare I say, hope. What what impressed me the most was the fitness level and a press. I, I can't remember the last time we we pressed a team and made them made them like feel put put them under pressure for long periods of time. And there were a couple of times where we were winning the ball back high up the pitch and getting on the counter. So that's exactly what I want to see, and I'm happy with that. I haven't had the feeling of hey, we could score a goal here for a long time. <laughs> You know what I mean? In it's, transition, it's the transition looked good. You know, it's like, oh, we, we're a good chance here to get to get at least something on target and put put one in. So, yeah, I thought I thought the performance was pretty good for the first probably seventy minutes, but the the Simon Red was a was a big turning point, and that's where we lost the game. Ouch! Yeah, no, I love the hard work. That actually is, you know, isn't that what Mariners is all about? Mm-hmm. You know, pitching in, getting a hundred percent out of everybody. And um, Danny De Silva, same as you said earlier, um, or maybe it's later, depending on <laughs> <laughs> how this all gets <laughs> cut together. <laughs> it's later. <laughs> well, l- later, p- Peter will say Danny De Silva was good. <laughs> no, Danny De Silva was good. Massive effort uh, in the midfield, and, but so was Tommy Orr, and so was um, Juric in there. Mm. Fantastic. And uh, what, what am I most looking forward to, though? Sammy Silvera. Oh, boy. Yeah, da, 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 there's plenty of excitement there. Anytime you've got a player in your team who will willingly run at opponents, then you can enjoy that entertainment value. So um, pretty thrilled that the club has um, seen fit to extend his contract. I think that's um, a worthwhile thing. And, uh, yeah, looking forward to seeing more that's of that. A, that's the thing about youth is that there's just no fear. So he just takes, takes on anyone that he wants to, and that's always a good sign. So I think... He was rewarded uh, today, as we record, with a three-year contract, which is a, a big investment. But I think it was the, uh, definitely the right call. Yeah, and I think he's this, he's got all the skills. But what I like the most is how hard he is, because uh, Jakobsen tried to tear his head off. You're going to see uh, you're going to see that a lot this season. You're going to yeah, see him getting kicked well. from pillar mm. to post all yeah. over the pitch. Yeah, Cooper, you know, laid down on his ankle and bent his ankle, and um, in this game, uh, Jakobsen smashed him. But um, yeah, he still keeps coming back for more. So. Yeah, he's no, he's very high. Can't give his throat face at that. Free kick from Glisby, the goal. Yeah, that was something all right. Uh, we saw it just floating across, and what's the goalie doing? What's the goalie, what's the goalie doing? <laughs> Love a good what's the goalie doing? It's um, yeah, no, he just completely lost the flight of it, and it's nestled into the bottom corner very nicely, and sent uh, sent us all into raptures for the next. Five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think we deserve that goal. I think um, Alan's said it uh, before, aka after on the podcast, that we were the better side for a long period of the game, and I think we deserved the goal. It was just that that um, Matt Simon red card, which I'm sure we will talk about later for a while, which was the turning point of the game. And I think what was it? Blackwood only scored what two minutes after, and then McGree got that late winner. So unfortunate. So, the first yellow was the retaliation elbow in mm. the box off one of our corners. Now, Simon did get downed earlier in the match, and mm. the ref didn't see it. Mm. Uh, Sean Evans tends not to see anything against anyone wearing yellow. Mm. Um, and, th- and then the, the second yellow was uh, what an, an air challenge where he got his elbows out and mm. hit, um, hit him in the face. Look, there's no doubt that he's collected him. I mean, the guy's walked out, you know, with, with blood coming from his mouth. But at the end of the day, who doesn't lift their arms when they jump? 
Yeah. Every single player lifts their arms when they jump. It's the softest yellow I've seen in my life. And I'm all, yeah. <laughs> this is frustrating. And the fact that he was about to get subbed off as well, just, you know. 60 seconds away from being subbed off yeah. and that happens. It's just it's com- unfortunate. It compounds the whole situation. It compounds the whole situation, obviously, but it's it's a soft yellow. Understandably, I'm sure the ref probably had a word with Matty not long before that saying this is your last chance sort of thing because he was running around in typical Matty Simon fashion. Um, but by the same token, it's one of the softest yellows I've seen. Anyway, moving on. Uh, new kits revealed. Rebel put them up for sale a bit early. Again. <laughs> Again. <laughs> Peak. Gibbo. That's your fault. <laughs> he went in there and asked for the new Mariners kit. They weren't out, so they got him out of a box and gave it to him, and then they started stocking them. In the <laughs> wow. Well, so, oh, you, you can't fault his passion. You can't fault Gibbo's passion for the club. We, we love Gibbo. Yeah. No, one's, no one's faulting his passion. We're just faulting his going into Rebel and asking for a kit when they're not in stock. <laughs> Um, I love the initiative though And Mm. they actually gave him the kit So it it worked out well for him in the end The blue kit looks nice Well, in some photos anyway And the yellow kit looked alright in the uh, photo shoot They did the other day for Fox Sports We've got it in our run sheet and I completely agree With whoever put that in but I need to see it in person To properly judge it Yeah, I agree Yeah, so the photo I saw, you know, one of the photos I saw looked good The other photo looked a bit Not as good but um, I, I'm probably most excited about the blue kit because I think that's the one. Hmm. That's the one I like anyway. Aaron is uh, is saying goodbye. <laughs> goodbye. He's off new to play fives and probably um, score a goal like he did in the grand final. So uh, new. I got you, mate. I got uh, I got the I got the plug in. Yellow Army hosted a pre-match at Bay Road. Um, Aid Munford, Laurie McKinnon and Matt Crowell all come along. Thanks to those three. I'd like to give a yeah, personal thanks to those three again if they are listening in on the podcast, answering the um, the call at pretty short notice to um, to come across. But what a what a cracking venue, what a cracking night um, we had there. I'm, I'm stoked with um, how that all came, came together. Um, and thanks to everyone, the 120, 130-odd people that we had in there, what a uh, great turnout for a Wednesday night. Fantastic turnout. And hopefully, I think we're going to try and make that a regular thing for our home games and hopefully the crowd can keep, can keep uh, growing for each game and, you know, pack it out. I think Bay Road were pretty happy with the turnout. I'm sure they were. With uh, l- we l- The beers checked, were flowing. I think they were happy. The beers were flowing very, very easily and quality beer too. Very good, very good beer. So we're going to be there for the derby. So I'm guessing you're going to have to get there quite early because as it's a Saturday night, and it's a smaller um, venue have a as well. Crowd. Yeah. So the capacity is what about ninety inside probably, and then we had about probably thirty people outside, one hundred and twenty all up, judging by the raffle tickets we handed out. Yep. Um, so if you want a seat, get there at ten a.m. We are working on some players going to be there, some mixed players. So we'll have to see how that unfolds. I asked one player today, and they said it's a bit early to know. So. But keep in touch with us on the socials, and I'm sure we'll be uh, we'll be dropping further information as the days tick down towards F3 Derby. Speaking of F3 Derby and Laurie McKenna, they unveiled a banner into what the, uh, the top eastern stand. Bannergate. Yes. Now, has Sean said that he didn't know that was going to happen? I don't think Sean was fully aware of the extent of what Mr. McKenna was planning in this instance. Okay, well, he hinted to us at Bay Road what was going to happen. So, Laurie yeah. did did mention to, to keep an eye out before kickoff. He didn't say for what, um, but he did say that he and um, he and his cohort, Joel Sackwack. Griffiths, Sackwack, um, were, uh, were planning, were up to something, some sort of hijinks. Now, whether you think it's a bad idea or not, the fact you're talking about it means it's done its job. 100%. Not going to agree with that. Hundred percent. I was, I was, I was pissed off and annoyed about it um, on the night and the day after. But then I pretty much got over it. I got over it pretty quickly. And now looking at it, like what you just said, people are talking about it is a good thing. Although I will say I'm not a fan of having their logo in our stadium as a little tidbit. But what about we're their still anthem? we're talking about it and it worked for them. So good on them. Hmm? The anthem got played a little bit as well. They started playing uh, "Never Tear Us Apart." Did they? Yep. Mm. It was only a handful of seconds. I didn't even know that. Yeah. Look, I mean, I'll just say there's there's been a lot of people that have sort of 
had, I guess, a murderous rage is one way of putting it. The forum um, was on, on fire that on, night on, on the social on social media and on the and on the forum. And look, I can appreciate it, but I don't have to agree with it. And you know, I, I think some of the things that have been said have maybe been taken a little bit too far. Um, but like Jimmy said, the fact that we're talking about it. Um, means that, yes, it's done its job. It's restoking that sort of fire, and I, for one, can't wait. He's wanting you to hate them, and you're playing to them, <laughs> basically. <laughs> exactly. Doing exactly what you what they want you to do. Exactly. It's like the end of Seven, the movie. Oh, oh what's in the box? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't give in to hate. Anyway, um... The Coast Football Ramble podcast tipping com- competition is live, and if you need details for that, head on to Facebook. We're using the ESPN app, so you'll need to download that. I haven't checked numbers. I'm going to have to ask Fred how many people are in yeah, it. Yeah, that's all is on Fred. I'll ask Fred. Ask Fred. Is it a Fred's question? Ask Fred. It's question Fred. Hashtag ask Fred at FGiano on Twitter. <laughs> Okay. I think that's his ad. I think zero four zero two, and his and his address is. You two are going to have to film in on this. The Mariners Palooza. Oh, absolutely! That was a great night as I wasn't well. There, that the um the but club I wish I was. That <laughs> was a great night as well that the club put on um, out at Crown Plaza at Terrigal a couple of weeks ago. Now, um, if you um, someone from this church apologised to uh, Birrigini in person. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yes, someone from um, this church of. Um, this house of lies. No, not really. <laughs> um, so, story goes, Luke was blocked by Mark Birrigetti on Twitter some time ago for um, some words they may have exchanged or not. Um, Sean heard the story, called Mark, uh, called Beer is over, and um, Luke got down on his knees uh, to apologise. Um, he was promptly unblocked and also followed by Beerus. So, um, fair play to Beerus. Thanks for that. Um, Probably the Luke's best moment of his life besides his <laughs> wedding. So, he was he was bloody happy with it. I think the, the quote from Luke after that was, though, if, if you mess up, don't blame me. So, <laughs> that's going to go on a, uh, on a T-shirt. And then we had the family day. Uh, great weather players uh, versus the reptiles. That was hilarious seeing... Um, Seeing Kim run, run away from that giant snake. Yeah, Kim wasn't thrilled. Uh, Ruan wasn't thrilled either, was no. he? <laughs> Didn't want to get too close. So it's good seeing the team chemistry there. Um, everyone, I think most players come over apart from Melling and uh, Matt Simon, I think. Yeah, we had most players drop by and, and say good day. We had Jordan Murray drop by and grab his uh, Feed the Muzz t-shirt, which said it was the sickest thing he's ever seen, and we've, we've made his year, paraphrasing there. Um, so they're available for $30. Plug. Just get in contact. Yeah, give us a shout if you uh, if you do want to feed the Muzz shirts. Um, Muzz, we're the best thing that Muzz has ever seen. Uh, we're going to have some more player shirts coming out throughout the year as well. Uh, we don't know exactly who they're going to be, but you can probably put money on Silvera getting one. Yeah, just watch this space. We'll um, we'll play it by ear as we, as we tend to do. But yeah, going back to that, um, as you say, great to see the team bonding and, and the team chemistry there and um you know a few of them are saying how fit they are and you know how they're ready to run through walls this year so i'm looking forward to it speaking, hey, yeah, it was good too speaking of shirts i think we've got a um a your dog matt simon shirt coming out so definitely look out for that seriously <sighs> um a league marketing finally it's here it's here, a week before the season you love to see it <laughs> where heroes are made no i i like that slogan yeah i don't hate it yeah, no, you I think don't hate it. No, I don't hate it. Do you like it? I I don't mind tolerate it. it. <laughs> I I have come to accept it. To, uh, I'll try that one again. Oh, that's that's staying in. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I have come to accept its existence. But it pretty much sums up the A League. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I mean, part of the A League. You're part of it. Well, it <laughs> makes sense at least. It it's, makes sense. It's a half truth. Where heroes are made. Yeah. What do you think of the ad? I liked it. I like it as well. Hmm. The anime superhero-inspired TV advert. Yeah. I do like how part of it was um, was Jamie Young turning into like a snake when he was just yelling at his defence, <laughs> not making a save. Yeah, it's more more of a more of an octopus or I, something. Yeah. yeah, I love the idea. Maybe they could have picked a bit more exciting footage to use. So they what they had um, a kind of meat is running down the wing. They had Young yelling at his defence and yeah, all the footage women, uses rather was, arbitrary. Yeah, there was a Melbourne City women's player. Uh, Going for goal, which is makes sense, obviously, but 
Um, I, I I thought it was okay. It didn't think it didn't like blow me away, sort of thing of oh my god, this is amazing. But it's it's good. It's better than the robots from V two. It's better than nothing. Oh, the robots. It's better than nothing. Look, I think they're going for the right sort of target audience and the right sort of demographic there as well. That sort of you know mid teenage yeah um sort of yeah demographic um to try and get them interested and try and get them hooked in and try and get them down the game so you know they'll go to games they'll bring their friends they'll have a laugh sing along and and um you know get get into them early and try and hook them for for life as fans abc has announced that they'll be telecasting saturday night games hopefully they have good talent hosting that game <laughs> and hopefully there's good product to show from the a-league on that game as well now, I think the last time I saw ABC Broadcasting was one of those arbitrary sort of friendlies with... Um, Liverpool, Liverpool, Sydney. Liverpool, oh, Sydney. Yeah, that was... And it was an absolute embarrassment to football in this country. Some of the... Um, I use the word loosely, presentation. That was, um, that <laughs> was, was happening. A, that a whiteboard with players... A whiteboard with yeah. players on there, yeah. Just and I'm and not the sure... Comedian. The comedian, yeah, mm. in inverted commas, um, was... Yeah, the less said, the better there. What's your favourite possession? That was the question he asked. Like, I... Apparently, this this guy we're talking about is, like, a good comedian, but, like, what was the point of him I've, being on I've football coverage? I've watched his shows, and they're not that good. Oh, okay. Well, I, I didn't know. I haven't really taken any notice of him, but... Um, I, I do like that we've got a free-to-air broadcaster. That's that, that, I'm glad that's been sorted. And I'm, yeah, 100%. I'm, I'm stoked we finally got one, but I'm, I'm stoked we're using the national broadcaster as well. I mean, if mm. it couldn't be SBS, then I'm, I'm glad it's ABC. Um, and, and I love some, the ABC. Yeah, I think it's great. Yeah, agreed. I think I think taking the Saturday 5 p.m. game I think is a good thing as well. Is that the one they're doing? That yeah. was my next question. They're doing yeah. the, the they're doing the early Saturday afternoon slash evening game. Mm-hmm. Right. Saturday curse. That, I was literally just about to say. Remember when we we, we, we did the Friday night curse? Every single Friday night game that was on free was to air was a bad game. Yeah. So <laughs> we need that to change. We need some. I think. Um, I saw on Twitter the other day a few Victory fans weren't happy with the Melbourne Derby being moved to five on, I think, the game just before Christmas. But I think it's a good thing. To get the Derby on free-to-air TV, I think, is a big thing. Yeah, well, that's the next point. It has led to schedule changes as well. Like, our game this weekend is moved from 5.15 to 5. Yep. Uh, and there's a handful of games throughout the season that have been moved forward 15 minutes or, in some cases, a couple of hours. Push, think, push back an hour, yeah. I think, on the on the Sunday games um, due to... I think it's got to do with ABC's broadcasting of the W League, um, which doesn't make that much sense. I think the W League games are usually, what, 3, 3 p.m. games? So that then oh, should I'm, go into a 5 p.m. game, wouldn't it? I think... Was there some games that were 4 we'll that were pushed back ABC. to 5? I think there was a couple of games in the middle of summer that were four and pushed back to five, which is a good thing. And then a couple of five games were pushed back to six p.m. as we well. We should have researched so, the the Sunday. Yeah, game. yeah, we're just talking <laughs> shit now. Yeah, no, the, the Sunday games is what I was getting confused about there because yeah, I'll, I'll a just, whole bunch of Sunday league games have changed. Yeah, I'll get the I'll get the draw up. I um, downloaded the new improved draw. So yeah, Saturday games are back to five, and then. And Sunday games, uh, there's a few Sunday games that are um, six o'clock, six p.m. And then, but then we've so this is a weird one. Um, Western United away in Geelong in the middle of January is a four p.m. kickoff, so that's probably going to be about fifty million degrees. Yeah, but what date is that? Is that a, a what day of the week is that? Rather, it's a Sunday. Sunday at four p.m. Sunday at four p.m. So there's a few Sunday four p.m. games. We've got Jets away on 9th of Feb. At 4 p.m. on Sunday afternoon. That's going to be a hot one. Um, another Sunday away to Western United is a 4 p.m. So, yeah, there's games that have been pushed back from 4 to 5 and then 5 to 6. So, um, yeah, the draw sort of uh, been um, – I've lost my train of thought. Um, 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 fuck it. I personally like the, um, the Sunday 6 p.m. kickoffs. Um, I know there was a little bit of consternation I've seen from from certain people around who, you know, and, and fair play, certain people do travel um, a fair way to come up to Central Coast Stadium and, and come to the games up here. I think there was one fellow on the forum that said he, he comes came up from, from Wollongong. Wollongong. Yeah. A big drive. Yeah, and, and <laughs> credit to him. So, I think his name's Sylvia. Uh, his, I think his forum username is R. Baker Smith. 
um, but I know like, we've got a few fans down south. D- yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember Paul Wissom and Pete as a party and Adam Sampson all used to make the trek up from Sutherland um, every week. And you know, fair credit to this bloke driving up and anyone else who does that sort of trek from from around that sort of area or that sort of distance. Um, every week. So, you know, if, if we have a six o'clock kickoff game finishes at eight o'clock, he's not getting home till nearly 1030. Mm. You know, so if you've got young kids, yeah, it makes it tough. But that's, that's the extreme, I guess, in, in this sort of circumstance. You know, most of us, um, would live, you know, a little more locally and are sort of getting home around that nine o'clock mark. Um, which I think is okay. So four, four of our home games are Sunday 6 p.m. And then we've got, a lot of a, a few too many Saturday five pm games, in my opinion. But because they're on free to wear, it's okay. But um, I do like the derby in round two being on at seven thirty, giving us you know prime time, which is good, and uh, a lot of pregame shenanigans, hopefully. So yeah, I think you know I think we we can't really complain a lot about the draw because pushing 5pm games back to 6 in the middle of summer is all about player welfare, especially if it's a really hot day. And fan welfare. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, one last thing. And now Alan picked the walkout music for the game, which was... You would Tom have heard Petty's it at the game. Won't back down. And Mick Komet won that. He guessed it on the forum. So he gets two free tickets for any game use throughout the season. Now, well I don't done. think the club have confirmed that that'll be the walkout song for the rest of the season, have they, Pete? Yeah, I think it's um, unofficially confirmed or officially unconfirmed. Officially unconfirmed, I think, is <laughs> the correct terminology to use here. But, um, yeah, now we use it on Wednesday night. Um, I, I'm happy enough with the choice, I guess. Um, and, um, yeah, well well done to Mick for, um, for guessing that one on the forum there. Anyway, we're going to play that song now and lead into the Stadich interview. Thank you for listening. We'll be back when we're back, hopefully next week. Love you. Love you, bye. Welcome, Alan Stadjic. How are you? I'm well. How are you guys going? We're good. We're good. Okay. First question. Scrunch or fold? <laughs> off to a good start. I can tell. <laughs> can I pass on the first question? Everyone's answered it. Okay. Fold. Fold. Good, yeah, man. It's it's just, it's I just love how every Australian knows, but every time we've asked someone from overseas, they have no idea what we're talking about. <laughs> every time. I apologise for that question. I didn't want to ask it. Um, source in the fridge or the cupboard? Fridge. Two out of two. I like this man. Right, uh, childhood football idol. Um, yeah, look, I was a li- I've been a Liverpool fan my whole life, and Kenny Dalglish was probably the first footballing uh, personality I knew about and looked up to. Uh, can I? Sorry, can I get you to move closer to the mic? Okay, Kenny Dalglish. <laughs> Thank you. I was a Liverpool fan as a child, so yeah, Kenny Dalglish was the first one to catch me. Well, you and Aaron will be friends. He's yeah, also yeah. a Liverpool fan. <laughs> Loving it already. <laughs> Going well this season. Yeah, they're killing it at the moment, mm. but long way to go. Big big four weeks coming up or through their next four matches. I think they got Man City. They got United up next, I think. Man United and who else was it? Was it uh, They had another big gun in there, so three of the top four. Their next four games are going to be tough. So I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be too year, worried about United. No, I'm not worried year, about United, uh, but Man City is obviously still a threat, I think. Is this year the, this, the year again? Long way to go. 30 matches. Yeah. <laughs> I've got I've got the sleep. I've got Stevie G's banana peel still in the back of my mind. So I'm a Spurs fan. Yeah. So I'm not doing too yeah, well this no, year. Yeah, you should zip it, yeah. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, how did you find transitioning from being a player to a coach? Well, luckily for me, I wasn't a very good player. So, um, you know, it didn't take much coercing to, to move into coaching. I was, um, you know, I went in... As a part-time player playing in, you know, what was in the Super League, but now they call it the MPL and played there for about 10 years. Um, but at a, at a point in time, I think I was 27-ish, 28-ish, um, one of my best friends was acting technical director at, at Football New South Wales and asked me if I wanted to fill in the New South Wales Institute of Sport job for, for women until they found a full-time coach. 
So I said, yeah, no problem, I'll fill in. And I was still playing towards the end of my playing and, you know, that interim role ended up being a 10-year full-time role. So, yeah, look, I really loved coaching right from the outset. You know, just being being able to put your mind, you know, to work and trying to try different things and experiment with different styles of play and patterns of play. And I was very lucky in some of the environments I was in that I could do that and, you know... Um, you know, I had a lot of good teams over the years to be able to try different things and experiment with, with some of my thoughts and ideas and seeing what worked and seeing what didn't. So, yeah, I was, I was very lucky I wasn't a good player so I could transition very easily out of out of playing. And probably the other good benefit of being the kind of player I was, I was a bit of a utility player. So I got to play in a lot of different positions as a kid. Um, in New South Wales state teams, I played both up front and played centre-back and sweeper. At the time, so, you know, if you're probably the star player, you don't get to move around that much. But just getting to experience two or three or four different roles as I did over my career, I guess, gave me that insight into different positions and roles and responsibilities. So I was a little bit lucky in some ways as well. Well, obviously, we've just come off the back of the, the FA Cup semi-final uh, against Adelaide. Result not exactly going the way a lot of us would have hoped, but some positives that we can take from the match, of course. Um, the work rate from the players was, I thought, the best we've seen in years. Um, Dan De Silva was a standout for myself and I know a lot of others that I've spoken to as well. Um, were you, I guess, in a sense, playing for extra time by not making substitutions or was, was Matt Simon maybe about to be substituted before we all know what happened in, in around the 70th minute there? Yeah, look, it was um, <laughs> it was probably a, a match of missed moments by, by myself but also by the team. I thought... In general, we were probably the better team, but not by a lot. I thought Adelaide had two or three chances and we maybe had three or four uh, where, we, where we could have got ahead or got ahead by more. Um, but I, I wasn't discounting Adelaide at any point in time and I thought we probably lost a little bit of momentum at the point we scored. You know, for some reason there was, there was almost a, a shift after the goal and they had a good five or ten minute spell and, yeah, we, we were about to make it. We were ready to make a change and our substitute was ready to go and getting his final instructions and, you know, Simo was, was probably the one who was about to come off but, you know, that all happened in an instant and, you know, the players that we had on the pitch, they're working hard, they're, they're extremely fit as you alluded to so, you know, I thought that those players on the pitch at that time, especially with what happened with, with being down to 10, I thought they could still do the job for us. As it so turned out, we copped a goal within 60 seconds. So it wasn't just the one one blow, it was the second blow, a quick, two quick mental blows in the space of a couple of minutes. So I think that hurt us, but we still, I still think they showed a lot of resilience to, to fight through to the end. Um, you know, and again, it was almost bad timing. Missed the second substitution. Again, we we're probably going to do another one just as the second goal went in. Um, and as it turned out, by the time they finished their celebration, it was 91 minutes, and I knew there was only a couple of minutes after that. So, you know, we had three minutes to try and try and get that last goal back. And, you know, what we had on the park was what we started with, and I thought they had probably the most amount of, um, you know, weapons at our disposal. You know, someone like Muzzer in the air, Jordan Murray in the air. We had good set-piece takers if we got a corner or, or a free kick up high. You know, Sammy was looking tired, but I thought he's the kind of person who can get us a foul, which he did a couple of times in the match. So... And even though we only had a couple of minutes left, I still thought those players, you know, if we if we did have that half a chance or one chance, they would be the ones to be able to capitalise on it. And as it turned out in the 93rd minute, we did get one counter-attack and Clisby got forward, clipped it into Jordan at far post and he, and he nearly got on the end of it, ended up being a corner. Uh, we had Clears on there again and Milan on there to take the corners or free kicks if need be. So, look, it didn't pan out the way I wanted it to and, and you know, in hindsight probably miss the substitutions by 60 seconds. But, you know, it's, it's an easy view in hindsight. Um, so the first 11 ended up being the best 11 for the situations we were in throughout the whole 90? Well, look, yeah. Look, in hindsight, we probably could have substituted different players. But, again, you're looking back in hindsight at the mo- at the feeling of the... They wouldn't have started if they weren't the best 11 for me at that moment. Um, yeah, but after you know, the Matt Simon card... Yeah, well, look, I still yeah. think that those players were, were still showing something in attack. Yeah. You know, Sammy Silvera, who, who was still being lively and still causing them problems on the on the ball uh, when he was dribbling, and on, especially on transition. I thought Danny's work rate, as you alluded to, was outstanding. Him and Tommy Orr have, have you know, by far shown the most amount of effort in terms of high-speed metres and total running in every match that we've played so far. So it was almost like we couldn't take them them two off. I thought Milan Juric, I thought it was his best game since coming to Australia. Um, and just reflecting back, I know how long it took Mil- uh, Ninkovic to adapt to Australian football. It was almost over a year. And to think that Milan could play in that moment and play in 
probably is more of an eight than a six, but playing a six role by himself and play at that level, I was really impressed. So again, he wasn't the player for me to come off. Um, so look, we almost had a good balance there at the time, but yeah, fatigue was the one thing that was in the back of my mind. But you know, I just thought if we got that one counter attack, they were the ones to exploit it. You know, McGlinchey was the next one to come on a couple of times, but as I said, both times that it happened, and that's just you know what happens in football. Both the moments were lost with with critical moments within that thirty to sixty second period. So you know, in hindsight. Probably missed it, but um, look, I was really happy with what the players did and how they did it and how they performed, and and I'm really pleased to see that we can run out of 90 minutes, even with 10 men, mm. and still show that we've got the fitness levels and, and the mentality to be able to compete, uh, you know, for the full match. So we've got a lot of good attributes, and obviously we've, we've also, got, you know, got a lot of things to improve on and learn as well. Yeah, because quite a lot of fans are going, why didn't they make the sub, why didn't they make the sub, I'm thinking, well, you only want to make the sub if you're going to bring on something, someone better or something that's going to change the situation. I thought the team that was out there was doing the job. So Yeah, they were, but again, it's easy in hindsight and sitting back and, and saying that some of the players look fatigued. And, and you know, Mikey had been training really well and played well the week before against uh, North Shore Mariners, so he was certainly uh, front, of, front of mind for me, but both incidents happened as he was about to go on. So, yeah. look, it was just a little bit of bad timing. And then by the time it was the second time when they scored, when it was 91 minutes by the time they got back, Back for the kickoff, it's like three minutes left. You know, you've almost got to chew up 30 seconds of the clock just to put him on. Um, you know, maybe it could have made a difference, I'm not sure. But then again, you've got to take someone off. You've got to take off a Sammy or a Danny or a Tommy or a Milan uh, to get him on or a Jordan Murray. And, and I thought if we do get a chance, it'll probably be a set piece, you know, especially with the state that the match was in with us being one man short and panned out that way, but we just didn't execute. There's a bit of general sentiment among the fans and uh, our listeners included in that about and wondering whether or not Matt Simon remains the best person to continue to be the captain. What would you say to those fans in defence of Matt and the position, his captain's position? Yeah, look, I've, I've only been here a short time and I've been a fan of the A-League for 14 or 15 years. I've watched Simo run around and, and didn't really know him personally um, until I've come to the club. But, you know, I, I can't think of a more loyal, hard-working, team-orientated person that I've ever coached. Um, you know, the, the Matt Simon you see on the field is, you know, someone who's aggressive and, and wants to win, but he doesn't just want to win for himself. He wants to win for the team. He wants to win for the club, and he wants to win for the community. He's, you know, he's a local born and bred um, player, and, and let me tell you, there's no person who, who thinks about the team more than him, you know, and the characteristics he shows at training, the characteristics he shows off the field is that of a true leader. And, yeah, you know, it's easy to point the finger and say, yeah, he shouldn't have got the red card, you know, as soft as it was. Maybe maybe the first yellow, you know, was something. But, you know, that's in his game and that's what he's good at and that's his strength. And, you know, as I said, you know, people don't really – I don't think there's too many people who really know the real Matt Simon. He's just a true leader on and off the pitch. Um, you know, we always want more from everyone on and off the pitch and I expect that from everyone, but I'm sure every all the players want that from themselves. And as I said, for me, he's, he, he's probably one of the best leaders I've come across in the 15, 20 years I've been coaching. And of course, he's the, uh, the Mariners' all-time leading goal scorer and six-time Central Coast Mariners' golden boot winner, so take nothing away from him there. <laughs> and I would say in this game, I, I think that there was a reason why he was part of the 11 guys who were out there that put us in front in the first place. He had made a significant contribution in this game, probably one of his best games. So at that point, it was a difficult decision and the consequences were harsh for us, but he had put in a fair bit into that game. Um, so kudos to him for that. Are we looking at signing another striker? Uh, look, um, we, we've probably got one spot left that we can sign. So for me, it's the most important about building the depth of this squad. I think that's the priority over the next period of time. So for me, it'll be the best player. Um, you know, if it can be an attacker, then all the better. But, you know, it is it is a tough, uh, tough period in terms of leading up to the comp and how much budget we've got available, how much room we've got available in terms of spots in the team. So, you know, I think the best best fit you know from the, the options that we've got is is what i'll look for um so you know that's a very vague answer but that's the <laughs> that's enough. the best answer i can give at the moment it's an, yeah, lots of fans are asking so yeah you know, of course and, and it's a genuine question and you know if you're to buy a top quality foreign striker for example yeah you know, better get out the checkbook 
Yeah, you know, that's a free agent at the moment and, too, and, don't they? Well, obviously, you know, yeah. after not being wanted from wherever they are, you know, the the transfer window closes in various parts of the world very soon. So whoever's available now is someone who's not wanted, and yeah. you know, are they going to add value to our team? And and for me, not only adding value to the team on the field, you know, we really need people who are going to add value to this team off the field as well. And and the players who have come in so far this year are bought into trying to rebuild this club and trying to re- rebuild the the culture of the club and the way it's perceived by you know all of you guys the fans and you know to this point i think they've done a really good job but we know it's just a starting point we know how much more we got to go speaking of strikers not adding value the jacket you're wearing that's <laughs> my age <laughs> <laughs> he's wearing number 44 so look that up <laughs> sorry Mario, are you gonna say good something point. I, I just i just wanted to ask alan about um if you're going to bring another if you're going to bring a star striker into the team what impact do you think that has on the work that you've put in obvious work that's been put in in terms of the team culture it was obviously a pretty tight-knit group out at the function at terrigal the other night and then in the game the amount of work and effort that they were putting in for one another was pretty clear to me there's they look like a tight group. What happens when you then bring, just for lack of a better example, Bessa Barisha into that with maybe big expectations and um, big parts, big player kind of mentality? Um, is that what you don't want to do to the team? Yeah, look, who, whoever you bring in will bring in a different dynamic. And, you know, we'd been training for 10 or 11 weeks when Dylan Fox came in. Um, and not that he's a big personality in terms of comparing to Barisha, but again, you you you're, you're concerned about the dynamic that a new person will bring in and, and it just so happened that the culture was pretty strong already and Foxy came in and, and has become part of the culture and even made it even stronger. So, you know, I said that that's a critical part of this team. You know, the person we bring in, we want them to embrace and build and, and grow and everyone learn from each other. You know, we've got a lot of young players who are not only signed with the team but also trained with the team. So, you know, if we're going to build a a team here that's going to be sustainable for a few years, you know, we can't just think about the short term. You know, of course, the short term is important and results are the most important, as we all know. But if we're going to build a sustainable team here for the next, you know, medium to long term, we, we really need leaders here who are going to embrace the culture, develop a, a culture of excellency and togetherness and, and a united team that, that embraces, as I said, all those things before, the team, the culture and the community, which, you know, I think looking from the outside in, I think maybe maybe the team lost its way a little bit with some of those things over the last four or five years and not just performances on the team I think there was a little bit of a connectedness that that maybe went missing there so you know in a regional area I think that should be the number one strength of our team and you know we're really big on enforcing that. So you mentioned there that you know the team sort of lost their way a bit over the last few years I guess when you when you first came into the side or into the into the Mariners last year what was the first thing or the the biggest thing I guess that's um that you thought was wrong and and what what was your single biggest change that you made to um or, or bought into the club yeah look it's it's not just something that i bring in it's whatever the players want to bring to the table at the end of the day whatever whatever culture you have it's just a collection of behaviors of all the people in the organization and that goes from the front office to all the office staff to all the coaching staff to all the admin staff who are down in the football office to all the players so it's not just a head coach it's it's certainly the whole group together and you know what I found here coming in at the end of last year was was probably a, a, an environment where where people had been losing for a long time and and you get a little bit of that victim mentality of blaming each other and lack of accountability for for your actions and your behaviors and your performances so you know, not that anyone did that deliberately because everyone loved the club, everyone wanted to perform, but when it's been down in the dumps for, for a few years and you haven't been winning, they're the, they're the natural kinds of sort of emotions and, and reactions that we have. So, you know, trying to turn that around as we've seen in anywhere in world sport or world football is really tough, you know, trying to turn around a team that hasn't been winning for a long time. So, you know, we've really gone back to basics of players who have come in have... have, have you know, brought in a sense of hunger and desire and commitment and dedication and some of them are really playing for their lives, you know, they've been to other clubs and, and they want to come here and, and give it one one big shot to try and bring their own careers up but also bring the club back up and that's where, uh, that, that's where I think it's been our biggest strength, you know, from the front office staff, you know, the way that they love the club, how much extra work they do for the club from the CEO down, you know, you can just see how much passion there is for this club to succeed and that's probably the thing that's you know been the most engaging aspect for me to try and you know really reinforce that connection between the club and the community to to give us that strength 
you know, and foundation upon which we have to build the, the team. I think that the fans have seen a, a difference in how we play and our, our style of play through our FFA Cup run, which all us fans have appreciated to make it as far as the semi-final. And, you know, we had a very good chance to make the final itself. Um, what are you looking at at the at the team to be different on the pitch? Like, you've had a full season or full off-season now. What do you think the fans can be excited about with our style of play this season? Yeah, look, I think the, the first thing that, that people can take away from the 14, 16 weeks of pre-season, four months I was going to say, of pre-season is that we can get to the starting line now and and have a genuine belief that we can win every game. Like we're going into the game against Wanderers this week and for me it's it's a game that's there to be won. Uh, you know, we're not going in there with a defeatist attitude and thinking we have to hang on for a point and pray for a point or hopefully we don't get flogged or, you know, oh, we cop a goal, here we go again uh, type mentality, which is what you get into when you're in that sort of losing frame of mind. So I think we genuinely go to the starting line on Saturday night thinking we can win the game if we play well and if we do things well and execute well. So, you know, that's really the most important part for me, that we can get to the starting point of every match and think that we are in that match and I don't care whether we play... Sydney or Melbourne Victory, the big guns or, or anyone else, I know that we can go into any game thinking we can win the game and trying to build that belief and confidence within ourselves and then having everyone else believe as well. Um, you know, to have 5,500 people at the game on a Wednesday night, I think the fans started to see a little bit of belief um, in the team being able, you know, to, to compete again. Um, a little bit of a resurrection. We just can't get ahead of ourselves, you know. I certainly think that, that we've improved on what we had and I think there's a good foundation there and the foundation is mentality uh, and then the next level is definitely fitness there's a good level of fitness and so long as we can improve our team chemistry our tactical awareness and our technical and the players get to know each other because essentially it's a new team a lot of new players haven't played together so you know just developing that cohesion amongst each other I think certainly going to be a strength and a level of improvement that we've still got left in us. I think that the fans, or especially me and the guys that I was watching the game with, we noticed um, like the fitness levels was really high, and we noticed the press, the pressing in without possession. Was that is that sort of a tactic you're looking at to press a, a team high up the pitch? Yeah, that was definitely one of the tactics for the Adelaide game, and I think Adelaide were a bit lucky in the first 20 minutes. Actually, we nearly pinched the ball off them three times in their penalty box. Yeah. There, their keeper got away with one. Jacobson got away with one where Sammy nearly pinched it off him, and it just landed back at Jacobson's feet. So, um, you know, I thought Adelaide escaped a couple of times, um, but you know, just seeing the work rate of everyone, everyone knowing their roles, uh, trying to execute it the best way they can, the recoveries. Uh, to get back in a position if they were caught out, you know, to see again, I'm going back to Milan who hasn't played a lone six role too many times in his life to see his positioning and his work rate was was pleasing to see. And then, you know, the things that we've talked about, you know, our fullbacks being able to cover each other but also get forward. You know, Clisby ended up being one of our players who assisted a goal but also got forward and crossed balls in during the game. So it wasn't just the work rate off the ball, it was also the chances and the momentum we, would be able, we were able to create with the ball. So, you know, a high-pressing team has to be able to be fit, otherwise you mm. can't do it. If you've got one weak link, someone who can't do it, it lets the whole team down. So to have a whole team who's able to contribute to that kind of mentality and that kind of defensive organisation is really important. And I think we're at that point which, again, I guess reinforces the fact that I've got a belief that every single one of our players can play 90 minutes at a high level. Now you've stated before that you consider yourself a rookie in the league uh, in a league-based uh, format. How do you find yourself dealing with that? Is, is that a challenge to you now, or how are you going with that change from international football setup? Well, not in a league-based. I've coached in a league my whole life, other than the last five years with a national team. But certainly for the A League, it's my first job in the A League. So learning how to deal. Uh, in, a, in a professional men's environment, you know, different things like the salary cap and long-term contracts and agents and, you know, things like that are, are all new to me and, you know, I've been thankful to have a, a great CEO like Sean um, be able to, you know, really team up and, and help in that whole process. So, you know, I think we've done pretty well in the recruitment stakes first and foremost. Um, you know, we are limited on resources compared to the big clubs but, you know, every day is a, a challenge for me and every day is a great, great, you know, uh, learning opportunity for me so I really thrive on the fact that I'm new and fresh to this environment and, and can test myself against 
you know, my, my strategies and theories and, you know, we use the word philosophies, you know, for the big word that it is, but test your ideas against other people at this level and, and see whether they can be effective. And, and so far, you know, I've learned a lot. I think some of the things we've done have been successful, but certainly I'm learning every day and I want to get better and better and, and that goes for the team as well. You know, the better I get, the better we get as a coaching staff, the better off the team's going to be. <laughs> Typical Mario. Stick with exactly the program. <laughs> Number 10, mate. Luckily, luckily I know this program's oh, edited. Man, luckily, I know this edited. <laughs> 10. Yes. Here. Is that better for you? Yeah, okay. Do you not read the questions, mate? No, I was just... I'm not even reading for who's... Yeah, this is my trademark. <laughs> this is what we have to deal with every week. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. That's staying in, by the way. What? That old bloke stuff. Yeah, hurry up. You left that hearing aid stuff in. You've officially been inducted into CCM life with some dubious officiating. Do you, the team or team management, prepare, prepare for such instances? Like, is um, Nazarate your fall guy for yelling at the fourth <laughs> official? <laughs> uh, that's a good question, but... Look, going back to both Wednesday night when I first started, um, you know, the thing that was apparent to me was, again sort of almost the victim mentality and blaming other people and, and all that kind of stuff. So I think it's something we have to shift away from. You know, I know how many red cards the team got last year and, and it was seven or eight in the season out of 27 matches and for me that's unacceptable. Um, you know, and, and how many of those are referees' fault or, or the actual accountability of the team and the player is, is, you know, up for debate. So, you know, the teams who were in the grand final, Perth and Sydney, had one red card between them. So, you know, if we're not going to be disciplined ourselves and worry about ourselves and what we do and how we affect our own actions, there's no use worrying about the referee. And, you know, when I look back to Wednesday night, there were certainly, you know, a few decisions that probably went against us that I thought could have went our way. Possible, you know, penalty for Simo, I think, when he followed up that rebound and you know, a couple of fouls on Sammy that I thought could have been a yellow card for Jakobsen. But also... There was, there was a free kick that ended up being a drop ball somehow. Yeah, I know. But there was also Beerus, you know, he swung the elbow and yeah. could that have been something different? So, look, you know, there's swings and roundabouts. I just don't like the victim mentality. We've got to be responsible for our own behaviours. And, you know, if we're going to sit here and worry, you know, you guys can as fans, but if we're going to, as a team and as players, worry and coaches worry about every single refereeing decision after a game and blame the ref for each game, then we're not worried about our own job and how we can get better. So for me, you know, it's a mentality that has to change within our club and within our team so that we focus on ourselves and do everything we can do to be the best we can be. And, you know, worrying about the referees shouldn't be the focus. How is Kim coming along, injury-wise? Yeah, Kim's Kim's good. He's improving. He's trained for a full week and a half now, so um, um, we'll see how he goes. So, you know, the fact that he's been training 10 days at, at 100% now, you know, hopefully he'll be one of the players who'll be available for the game this week. How much of a character is he in the group? Yeah, he's a good character. Obviously, he's uh, learning English. He, I think he knows more than he lets on sometimes. So, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just I'm just asking that, watching him interact with the reptiles. Yeah, at, that was um, funny. At yeah. the Mariners family day. <laughs> Between him and Ru and Tongik, I'm not sure which one was running the fastest to get away. Yeah. They were oh, having a good time All doing of a sudden, it, they could run, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I need to bring that snake to training then. <laughs> we, saw, um, we saw Sammy Silvera picking up a, uh, a full-time contract today, um, coming off scholarship. Um, fantastic news for the club. Um, does that open up a scholarship opportunity for anyone in our current youth setup? Uh, not short term it doesn't um, you know unfortunately with, with this upgrade for Sammy it's all coming out of the same bucket so you know you can't rob Peter to pay Paul so you know it's great that we can upgrade his contract and secure him to the club for a couple of years and you know at the end of the day full credit to the young boy he came up here on trial he you know he, he was at a a-league club in a youth setup before and, you know, was given an ultimatum whether to stay or come and trial for the Mariners and he, and, he, and he just almost sacrificed that contract to come up here for a trial and came up here on an open trial, you know, performed really well. Uh, he was exceptional at the trials and, you know, he's gone onwards and upwards from there. He's shown a great level of maturity on the pitch, off the pitch. He's, you know, he's doing all the things that a young apprentice does around the team and, and he's been really humble. So, you know, just seeing how much he's developed over the last couple of years has been really impressive. You know, having watched him as a 14 and 15-year-old at Westfields uh, Sports High, you know, seeing the raw talent that he had and now seeing him as an 18, 19-year-old and being able to replicate that game in, game out and, you know, every training session now has been really pleasing. But, you know, at the end of the day, he's a young kid. I know everyone's getting, 
excited about him, but, you know, he's a young kid and we've got to just make sure he, he keeps his feet on the ground and stays humble and keeps learning and improving because he has got tremendous weapons, but he's also got a long way to go to improve as a footballer and we all know how much potential he's got and, you know, I, I, know, I know he's going to fulfil it, but he's only at the start of his journey, that's for sure. Sorry, when you said potential, it just triggered me. <laughs> you looked at Aaron. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Lee Broxham Facts asks, the tactical cycle for this generation has been all about football played in, trans- in transition. What style does Alan think will emerge next up? Yeah, I don't know if this generation's been taught about transition. I think this generation's been taught how to play out from the back due to the curriculum, which is... Which has been, for the most part, has been a positive, I think. But there's obviously elements within some of the development pathway that that haven't been fully exploited by different coaches. I think it's been a little bit too robotic, mm. uh, the way that our younger kids, both boys and girls, have been brought up over the last probably four, five, six years. So there's so many other elements to the game. And when you watch even the good possession-based teams like a Manchester City and a Barcelona uh, for example, that they don't just play out all the time. You know, if Aguero's one-on-one at the back and the keeper can hit him, he'll hit him. Yeah. So, you know, having that tactical nous and having the technical skills to be able to execute those plans is, is part of the game. So, you know, I think I think, I think, think being able to execute skills at speed, you know, whether it's thinking speed or running speed, is, is definitely the evolution of, of the game. And when you see different teams like Atletico Madrid being able to run all day and run at top speed and defend and run for their life as opposed to, you know, a Liverpool who are who are extremely quick in transition versus a Manchester City who are extremely skillful um, all the time and being able to keep the ball and build up play but still being able to hit teams uh, when they're not ready is, you know, the way the game's going to go. You know, the technical level of those top players is just, you know, immaculate and be able to execute their skills at the speed they do it at is is really the next, for me, level uh, that the game will go. But I think in terms of tactics, I think I think everything's been done. It's just a matter of, you know, who can execute whatever game plan the best on, on whichever day. And then, you know, for teams and coaches to decide, is there a plan A, is there a plan B, is plan A making, is plan B making plan A better, or can you change up formations in a game and, and pose different tactical problems to different teams? So I think they're, they're really the big questions, I think, for coaches and teams moving forward. I haven't seen anything dramatically new in recent times other than people just being able to execute their plans you know to the best possible way they can and you know as I said I'm a Liverpool fan I think Manchester City potentially play more attractive football but you know I think Liverpool have been more effective in the last 12 or 18 months for the most part. With a country like Australia and the curriculum so that that specifies a certain way we should play football and a certain formation as well is that correct? teach teach kids to play football not necessarily play football at senior football but yeah certainly along the pathway okay because the way i was sold the curriculum was that you could interchange players into the same position because they've been taught the same way yeah of course that's an important part so regardless of where they grow up around the country you know, whether they grow up in new south wales or western australia they should be able to interchange from program to program and still be able to learn the roles and responsibilities both tactically and technically of, of you know, that position. So, you know, I think for a lot of aspects it, it's been a positive. But as I said, I think it's been a little bit too robotic um, in terms of how coaches have applied um, some of the elements of the curriculum on a day-to-day basis. And, for example, you know, there's still, you know, there's a cutoff there apparently at 13 where it changes from skill acquisition to game training. But for me, skill acquisition keeps going you know for the rest of your life and you know I don't think that point was elaborated in enough detail for for different programs and you know the challenge of playing against different formations we've lost Um, you know I know for example when I was coaching national youth teams you know you come up and play against a Japan or a Korea and they're playing 4-4-2 yet all our kids have been playing 4-3-3 and playing against 4-3-3 their whole life and all of a sudden you've got to go to a qualifiers and you're playing against a different formation, all of a sudden your roles are different, your responsibilities are different because the pictures and the shapes of the game are different. It, it becomes a big challenge. So, you know, that's the part where I think we can evolve a little bit more and give a little bit more freedom to coaches, especially with kids as they progress, you know, 14, 15 onwards and have a little bit more flexibility so players can develop more tactical skills, more tactical analysis and be able to have better decision-making when they're posed with different football problems. And I think that's probably the part that's been stifled most. So, we're in, in our country, we got 
more, you've got better footballers that are fewer and further between. Do you feel like we should build a football style and a formation and a way to play that players can then jump into? Or do you think we should adopt our style and our play and our formation to suit the best talent at the time? Depends what you're talking about. Are you talking about a national team yeah, or national are you talking team. about a club team? So, you know, it's very hard for a national coach to say every club, so every A-League team in the country has to play the same way. You know, I just don't know if that's going to happen. Isn't that what the curriculum was based to do? No, it wasn't, no. The curriculum ends up, you know, finishing at the age of about 17. Okay. You know, so from that point on, senior teams can play however they want. Really, the curriculum is about building the foundation for a young player, their technical skills, their tactical skills. So then, you know, when they go to senior football, they're able to apply their technical skills in whichever format or setting that they're presented. Um, so that's really the main premise of the curriculum. So senior football was never meant to be included in that. I've, teams choose to play 4 through 3 That's their own choice, and that's their own choice mm-hmm. of that coach at that time. Sorry about that. So Martin's asked, uh, what surprised you most about the Mariners after arriving at the club? I was surprised, um, I guess in a good way, at how, how passionate everyone was for the, for the club to succeed. And again, from the moment I walked in the front office and, and saw everyone in the front office, how how desperate they were for things to get better. Um, you know, having almost you could almost feel feel their despair and you know the feeling of being in the doldrums, um, but just wanting to see the light at the end of the tunnel. Um, that was, that was I, I think sixteen. I think was the feeling I felt from everyone here at yep. the club, but also the fans that, that I got to talk to. So. You know, I know it's not going to be an easy path. We're building it up almost from, from ground zero in a lot of respects. So, you know, the few wins that we had in the FFA Cup, it's always got to be tempered with, you know, we're building f- for a longer term, not just, you know, winning one one FFA Cup match and thinking we've turned it all around. I, I don't think we have. I think we've got a long road ahead of us. I think the players, the coaching staff and everyone here at the club are going to have to work hard to ensure that we keep building and growing and, and ensuring that there's a sustainable foundation here where the club can be competitive for a long time not just for you know one ffa cup run um michael i think is asking about lee how that uh was it lee saying lee saying ho yeah um who made the call with that and what happened um he did um you know the he hadn't played for a long time before he'd come out i uh, had an injury just prior to coming out probably three or four months before he came out and then just getting back into work and trying to get back into the rhythm of, of training in a professional environment it just became too hard for him and he decided to go back home to Korea. But he's, um, you know, he was an exceptional player. You know, both him and Kim are exceptional footballers and, you know, them at their peak, you know, would probably win A-League Players of the Year. So, you know, our goal is to get Kim as close to his peak as we can get him because both him and Lee have got, you know, unbelievable talent. Um, and, you know, I think they display that for many years, both in Korea and in the Asian Champions League. So... You know, it was a shame that he went home, but there the cards were dealt. It ended up being his decision, and, you know, there's not much we can do if, if he's not willing to, you know, if, if it was a tough decision for him to keep living in Australia, then there's not much we can do about it. I think we've noticed that with Juric as well, like a, a very, very good player who can become a great player. Yeah, look, again, people just have to remember, and you have to keep things in perspective. You know, Fornaroli came out here and hit the ground running and scored 30 goals or whatever he did in the... <laughs> first year or two and then he hasn't scored many since and now he's at Perth and you don't know if he's going to be a leading goal scorer again or not and I remember watching Ninkovic in the first year and he was quite average you know it would have been quite easy for the club to discard him after that first year um, but they didn't they stuck with him because they knew of his potential and then year two and three he was player of the year and even looking back at Dimitrovic who was player of the year at Sydney before Ninkovic came in he was also in his first year he was mm. quite poor so you know it's not an easy transition into the A-League the A-League's it's fast it is transition based it's played in summer um, so if you're coming from a European league where the game's played at a much slower tempo or a much more controlled tempo you know all of a sudden coming out here and playing at five o'clock on a Sunday afternoon uh, in a transition-based game where you've got to cover 11 or 12 Ks at high speed, you know, it's not an easy adaptation. Um, and the level of skill is, is quite good. I think people, you know, having travelled the world with the Matildas quite a lot, I used to go and watch a lot of leagues um, and a lot of matches from top and second divisions everywhere we went. And you know, I think people underestimate the, the level of the A-League. You know, obviously, 
Bundesligas and Premier Leagues, they're, they're in another they're in another stratosphere. But, you know, other than that, I think the A-League's comparable with a lot of leagues around the world. Um, so next question from Roddy, and I'm apologising in advance for um, how much of the question remains. Have you given any consideration to using Ziggy as the right centre-back in a three a back three defensive formation? Yeah, look, we're, we're obviously going to look at every formation, and we've changed... Uh, formations already a couple of times this year so we'll use whatever we have to and whatever whatever we think is the best solution for that weekend so we're not ruling anything in or ruling anything out that's for sure when are we going to see niz get a full contract yeah niz has been doing well um you know again he was on the bench last week which is which is credit to him he's, he's worked hard in in pre-season um so yeah look he's ticking along really well and, and couldn't be happier with how he's going but at the moment you know, there's there's lots of considerations other than just being able to give everyone evolves. Santa Claus, I'd love to give everyone a contract, but that's just not the position we're in at the moment. And how are we tracking for the weekend? As I said, I think we get to the starting point in, in good shape. I think I'm confident if we play to our abilities that we can we can win. Um, you know, it's not a game I go into with any fear. Uh, I think the Wanderers have had a good preseason. Uh, they beat us in a friendly that we played. Um, but but certainly I go into this game thinking that if we play our best football, we we can we can compete with them and we can win on the day. I think you know there's going to be a lot of pressure for both teams. There'll be twenty five or thirty thousand people there first game of the year. So for me, I'm just really excited and you know a great level of anticipation for me and the players, just knowing how big an event it's going to be. Uh, thanks to Eric Trent, Ian, Kevy, Bob, and everyone else who got in contact. I'm sorry if we didn't ask you a question. <laughs> Um, well, thank you for joining us. Uh, best of luck this weekend and for the whole season. Thank you. And uh, the next two years as well, I guess. Yep. And, um, yeah, thank you again for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. It's just one thing you missed. Love you too. <laughs> <laughs> but not so much. <laughs>